0: We continue our worship with the hearing of God's word. And our scripture today comes from the second letter to the Corinthians by Paul. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by, ev- by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, He scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for this undescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, you welcome us in into your presence, into community. You welcome us in, Lord, and invite us to slow down. To take a deep breath. To set aside the things of this week, the things that we come from and will return to in order to be filled up by you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would sweep through us, that it would soften our hearts, that it would open our ears so that we could hear your word fresh and new this morning, that we would be built up by it, encouraged by it, that our hearts would be changed by it, and that we would become more like your son, Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen. So I love to garden. Specifically, I love to grow my own food. Now, I'm from Pennsylvania, which is very different gardening from what I've experienced here. But back home, we lived within walking distance to my parents, and um, because I have such a creative mind and I have such a handy husband, my job is to dream up all of these projects, and his job is to make them come to life. <laughs> he does it very well. So I dreamed up this plan to make my mom official garden beds. For years, she'd been gardening in her mulch beds with the, you know, with the roses and the bushes and tomato plants and peppers right there. So I said, let's get four garden beds. I, I thoughtfully planned it out. I drew a map of where I wanted the garden beds. I mapped it out on a little sheet. And then I went out with the spray paint, and I marked my mom's yard. And I figured it this would be perfect. And then Justin got to work. He measured it out. He built it. It was beautiful. When it was all set and done, I went out one more time, this time with my, um, my ruler, and I measured out a foot by a foot by a foot. It was perfect. Then I, I marked it and I tied it off so each bed had this perfect grid on it. Do you see what's wrong with me? I'm very methodical. <laughs> so the time came where I had my seeds, I set out to the garden bed with my little trowel, my little shovel. My mom followed behind with her seeds in hand, too. And I crouched down by my first bed, and I carefully began sowing, making sure that that seed had all of its own room, and then the next seed would get its own room. And I look up before too long, and to my horror, I see my mom with all of her tomato seeds just going like this. Like, mom, what are you doing? There's beds, they have their own space. It's fine, <laughs> they'll take just fine. She's from farmland in mid Pennsylvania, she's kind of a hippie. It worked for her, and I gotta tell you, as much as I wanted to say, What are you doing? That's not right, it worked. A couple weeks later, to my surprise her garden bed was filled with tomatoes. So many tomatoes. There was cherry tomatoes and sweet tomatoes and beefsteak tomatoes and big tomatoes, and I don't eat tomatoes, but she gave them to my siblings and she gave them to our neighbors, and they had just so much gratitude for her sharing. And my beds, they grew too, but not nearly as much as she had grown. Mine had just the few plants in them. The Apostle Paul might be a tent maker, he might be a preacher, but he also knows a thing or two about sowing seeds and reaping harvests. Paul knows that there's a direct correlation between sowing and reaping. Over the course of his ministry, he traveled 10,000 miles, actually over 10,000 miles, and he planted at least 14 churches. He witnessed firsthand how God made those seeds, those churches grow, and all the work that they accomplished. We are a part of that harvest. So one of the churches he planted was the church in Corinth. Corinth was an interesting and a diverse city. It was a wealthy city, and a crucial stop on the main trade route so that goods from all over the the empire would pass through Corinth. This made it a bit of a mixed city, a bit of a wild city, an indulgent city with influences from worldwide travelers that impacted what they could buy, how much they could buy of it, and even how they thought about the world and community and things. The newborn Christians in the Corinthian church were impacted by this, just like we are. They indulged in those worldly pleasures. They were most likely fearful of being persecuted, as many early Christians were. And they even complained about Paul, the founder of their church. So at one point, we read, The Corinthians had promised to give an offering of their resources to the struggling Christians all the way in Jerusalem. But the gift never appeared. What happened? Maybe they decided they wanted to indulge themselves on buying the newest chariot or the latest leather sandals. Maybe they feared that they wouldn't have enough money to get through the winter. Or maybe they felt it was unfair to expect them to support Christians in Judea when they lived in Corinth. Whatever the reason, they did not fulfill their pledge. So Paul decides to use this lesson to cultivate a new attitude in the Corinthians. He writes them, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's a simple principle. Sow a small amount of seed, see a small harvest. Sow a big amount of seed and see a big harvest. So is Paul saying, if we give big tithes, we're going to get the money? (laughs) I wish. No, that's not how it works. The big harvest that he's talking about is helping the lost and the least, the poor and the powerless. That's exactly what Paul writes in these next verses. He says in verse 8 and 9, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. For it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. A few years ago, a young man held up a homemade sign on the broadcast of an ESPN College Game Day broadcast of the Iowa State University game. And on his sign, it simply said, Bush Light Supply Needs Replenished. And then on the bottom, it had his Venmo, how you could give to him. It was caught on camera, and people actually sent money to his Venmo account. He said he did it for laughs, but when the money started flowing in, he decided to donate it. He donated it to the University of Iowa's Children's Hospital, and his actions went viral. So much so that other people started to join in. It became a massive story that had a number of twists and turns and even some controversy. But in the end, people donated $3 million to the children's hospital. People gave, in a sense, for what they got out of it. It wasn't a financial return. What they got was joy. What they got out of it was the satisfaction and the blessing of being a part of something bigger than they were as individuals. They got a blessing of being able to work together to help make a massive difference for children and families in need. And I imagine most of those people, if not all of them, gave cheerfully. You and I are a pipeline. Of God's blessings. Sure, some of them are for us to use, but if they stop with us, if only a trickle of blessing leak through, then we're missing the point of why we are here. God blesses us to turn around and be a blessing. God gives us the seed to sow a big harvest of help to the poor and the hungry, the oppressed, and the persecuted, the lost, and the least. If God can do that with a little bit of beer money and a football game, imagine what God can do with all the faithful when we sow those seeds in faith. Now, how do we do this? Where do we start? Paul says the place to start is kind of like where we started in worship today, our hearts. It's not in our bank accounts. It's not in our paychecks, our stock portfolios. We start with our hearts. He writes in verse seven, each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So there's two ways that we're not to give, reluctantly or under compulsion. So why do some of us feel like that when it's a time to give? I have some ideas. As a pastor, I get to hear a lot. I've been preaching on stewardship for 11 years, and this is what I hear a lot. The church is always asking for money. Have you heard that? It's okay, you can admit it. I disagree because we actually don't do a good job of talking about it we don't talk about it as much as jesus even taught about it we could do a lot better a much better job at talking about stewardship talking about why we give sometimes we don't give because we just don't know that there's a need we need to do a better job about talking about the needs So it might be we just don't know why we give. We don't know that there's a need. Or maybe we don't give because of what's going on in our hearts. Maybe our hearts, rather than being filled with a spirit of generosity, are filled with attitudes of something else, attitudes of indulgence and fear and self-pity. Hear me out. Indulgence says, I need the newest iPhone. I need the highest pixels on my pictures of my food. I need the newest toy. Fear says, I may not have enough money if this economy fails, so I have to keep it for myself. And then self-pity says, why is everyone always begging me for this money? Paul says, Don't be a reluctant giver. Don't be a giver that's compelled to give. Rather, be a cheerful giver. The secret to becoming a cheerful giver is actually adopting a new attitude, an attitude of gratitude. Paul continues Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God enables generosity. If we have seeds to sow, it's because God gave them to us. If we have food to eat, it's because God set our table. If we are breathing today, it's because God has put God's breath in us. And then don't forget, Jesus gave it all. We have a Savior who gave generously. Paul reminds the Corinthians of this in chapter 8. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that, through, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So in other words, Jesus had it all. He had it all in heaven, he was rich. Yet he became poor, he gave it all up to put on flesh to be here with us on earth. So that through his life and death and resurrection and then sending the Holy Spirit to us, we then would become rich. That we would inherit it all. What is the all the gifts of mercy and forgiveness and grace and life everlasting? Isn't that something worth giving thanks for? Isn't that something that changes our hearts? Isn't that something that makes you want to give back, to sow it forward? Gratitude changes our hearts. It breaks all of those attitudes of fear and indulgence and wallowing in a scarcity mentality, things that all focus inward on me. And it turns our hearts in an opposite direction. When indulgence takes, gratitude is giving. When fear is shaking, gratitude is serving. And when self-pity is sulking, gratitude is giving things. So I am going to give you a little bit of homework. I like to call this a for Monday. So this is your homework for Monday, for the week. Make a gratitude list. Write down all the blessings in your life, all the things which make you smile, all the resources which make your life possible, all the rights which make you free all the relationships which make your life full, everything that you can think of that causes you to give thanks, write them down, look at them, think about them. I would bet that when you see them in black and white, you will see how blessed life is. It will change your attitude and your outlook on life. You won't need to indulge yourself because you have so much already. You won't need to fear because you know a God who has provided in the past and you trust that God will provide in the future. You won't get stuck in the negative because you'll see that God is working out good. That God is not done. Paul then goes to his last point, And he says that this generosity points back to God that generosity is gratitude pointing back to God. In just a few short verses, Paul says four times that these seeds of generosity we sow will reap in a harvest that points back to God, a harvest that is praising God and thanking God. It's about more people knowing the God who we serve and the Savior that we follow. It's about more people experiencing God's new economy, which encourages everyone to share what they have so that everyone's needs are supplied, so that all are welcomed at the table. It's not about us, it's about God. Did you know more than 1.1 million seeds of different varieties, originating from almost every country in the world, are stored in a secure vault deep inside a mountain on a tiny island in the Arctic near the North Pole. It's called the Global Seed Vault, and it stores the seeds of life should they ever be lost to catastrophe or cataclysm. Great care goes into taking To to ensure, I should say, that these seeds do not sprout. Why? Because seeds grow. God did not design them to remain dormant. And although it's important to have seeds stored in case of emergency, sitting still is not normal seed behavior. God made seeds to grow and multiply. God designed seeds to produce plants, to produce some type of fruit that then in turn would produce more what? It's okay, it's Sunday, yes, seeds. (laughs) Some seeds have even germinated and flourished after thousands of years in storage. It's hard to keep a seed from doing what God created a seed to do. Why? It contains the potential for abundant life. It offers the hope of a brighter tomorrow and a hint of the promise of what's to come. Our giving, our generosity does the same thing. When we give generously, we plant a seed. Our willingness to plant a seed then produces thanks to God. When we give freely and cheerfully, we plant seeds that no one can keep from growing. As Susan said in in her speech earlier, when we generously unite and do this together, we are doing so much more, so much more that allows others to point to God, to point to the one from whom all blessings flow. So for Monday, you have homework. Write your gratitude list. And then go and sow seeds. Not like me, but like my mom. Amen?